0: Section fifteen of the fourth dimension by Charles Howard Hinton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. Chapter nine. Part one. Application to Kant's theory of experience. When we observe the heavenly bodies, we become aware that they all participate in one universal motion, a diurnal revolution round the polar axis. In the case of fixed stars, this is most unqualifiedly true, but in the case of the sun and the planets also, the single motion of revolution can be discerned, modified, and slightly altered by other and secondary motions. Hence, the universal characteristic of the celestial bodies is that they move in a diurnal circle. But we know that this one great fact, which is true of them all, has in reality nothing to do with them the diurnal revolution which they visibly perform is the result of the condition of the observer it is because the observer is on a rotating earth that a universal statement can be made about all the celestial bodies the universal statement which is valid about every one of the celestial bodies is that which does not concern them at all and is but a statement of the condition of the observer now, there are universal statements of other kinds which we can make. We can say that all objects of experience are in space and subject to the laws of geometry. Does this mean that space and all that it means is due to a condition of the observer? If a universal law in one case means nothing affecting the objects themselves but only a condition of observation, is this true in every case? there is shown us in astronomy a vera causa for the assertion of a universal is the same cause to be traced everywhere such is a first approximation to the doctrine of kant's critique it is the apprehension of a relation into which on the one side and the other perfectly definite constituents enter the human observer and the stars and the transference of this relation to a region in which the constituents on either side are perfectly unknown if spatiality is due to a condition of the observer the observer cannot be this bodily self of ours the body like the objects around it are equally in space this conception Kant applied not only to the intuitions of sense but to the concepts of reason wherever a universal statement is made there is afforded him an opportunity for the application of his principle he constructed a system in which one hardly knows which the most to admire the architectonic skill or the reticence with regard to things in themselves and the observer in himself his system can be compared to a garden somewhat formal perhaps but with the charm of a quality more than intellectual a besonnenheit, an exquisite moderation over all and from the ground he so carefully prepared with that buried in obscurity which it is fitting should be obscure science blossoms and the tree of real knowledge grows the critique is a storehouse of ideas of profound interest the one of which i have given a partial statement leads as we shall see on studying it in detail to a theory of mathematics suggestive of inquiries in many directions. The justification for my treatment will be found, amongst other passages in that part of the Transcendental Analytic, in which Kant speaks of objects of experience, subject to the forms of sensibility, not subject to the concepts of reason. Kant asserts that, whenever we think, we think of objects in space and time. BUT HE DENIES THAT THE SPACE AND TIME EXIST AS INDEPENDENT ENTITIES. HE GOES ABOUT TO EXPLAIN THEM AND THEIR UNIVERSALITY, NOT BY ASSUMING THEM, AS MOST OTHER PHILOSOPHERS DO, BUT BY POSTULATING THEIR ABSENCE. HOW THEN DOES IT COME TO PASS THAT THE WORLD IS IN SPACE AND TIME TO US? KANT TAKES THE SAME POSITION WITH REGARD TO WHAT WE CALL NATURE a great system subject to law and order how do you explain the law and order in nature we ask the philosophers all except kant reply by assuming law and order somewhere and then showing how we can recognise it in explaining our notions philosophers from other than the kantian standpoint assume the notions as existing outside us and then it is no difficult task to show how they come to us either by inspiration or by observation we ask why do we have an idea of law in nature because natural processes go according to law we are answered and experience inherited or acquired gives us this notion but when we speak about the law in nature we are speaking about a notion of our own so all that these expositors do is to explain our notion by an assumption of it kant is very different he supposes nothing an experience such as ours is very different from experience in the abstract imagine just simply experience succession of states of consciousness why there would be no connecting any two together there would be no personal identity no memory it is out of a general experience such as this which in respect to anything we call real is less than a dream that kant shows the genesis of an experience such as ours kant takes up the problem of the explanation of space time order and so quite logically does not presuppose them but how when every act of thought is of things in space and time and ordered shall we represent to ourselves that perfectly indefinite somewhat which is kant's necessary hypothesis that which is not in space or time and is not ordered that is our problem to represent that which kant assumes not subject to any of our forms of thought and then show some function which working on that makes it into a nature subject to law and order in space and time such a function kant calls the unity of apperception i e that which makes our state of consciousness capable of being woven into a system with a self an outer world memory law cause and order the difficulty that meets us in discussing kant's hypothesis is that everything we think of is in space and time how, then, shall we represent in space an existence not in space, and in time an existence not in time? This difficulty is still more evident when we come to construct a poieograph, for a poieograph is essentially a space structure. But because more evident, the difficulty is nearer a solution. If we always think in space, i.e. using space concepts, the first condition requisite for adapting them to the representation of non-spatial existence is to be aware of the limitation of our thought and so be able to take the proper steps to overcome it the problem before us then is to represent in space an existence not in space the solution is an easy one it is provided by the conception of alternativity to get our ideas clear let us go right back behind the distinctions of an inner and an outer world. Both of these, Kant says, are products. Let us take merely states of consciousness and not ask the question whether they are produced or superinduced. To ask such a question is to have got too far on, to have assumed something of which we have not traced the origin. Of these states, let us simply say that they occur. Let us now use the word a posit for a phase of consciousness reduced to its last possible stage of evanescence. Let a posit be that phase of consciousness of which all that can be said is that it occurs. Let A, B, C be three such posits. We cannot represent them in space without placing them in a certain order, as A, B, C but Kant distinguishes between the forms of sensibility and the concepts of reason. A dream in which everything happens at haphazard would be an experience subject to the form of sensibility, and only partially subject to the concepts of reason. It is partially subject to the concepts of reason because, although there is no order of sequence, still at any given time there is order perception of a thing as in space is a form of sensibility the perception of an order is a concept of reason we must therefore in order to get at that process which kant supposes to be constitutive of an ordered experience imagine the posits as in space without order as we know them they must be in some order a b c b c a c a b a c b c b a b a c, b, a, b, a, c one or another. To represent them as having no order, conceive all these different orders as equally existing. Introduce the conception of alternativity. Let us suppose that the order ABC and BAC, for example, exist equally, so that we cannot say about A that it comes before or after B. This would correspond to a sudden and arbitrary change of A into B and B into A, so that to use kant's words it would be possible to call one thing by one name at one time and at another time by another name in an experience of this kind we have a kind of chaos in which no order exists it is a manifold not subject to the concepts of reason now is there any process by which order can be introduced into such a manifold is there any function of consciousness in virtue of which an ordered experience could arise in the precise condition in which the posits are as described above it does not seem to be possible but if we imagine a duality to exist in the manifold a function of consciousness can be easily discovered which will produce order out of no order let us imagine each posit then as having a dual aspect let a B one a in which the dual aspect is represented by the combination of symbols and similarly let b be two b c be three c in which two and b represent the dual aspects of b three and c those of c since a can arbitrarily change into b or into c and so on the particular combinations written above cannot be kept we have to assume the equally possible occurrence of forms such as 2a 2b and so on and in order to get a representation of all those combinations out of which any set is alternatively possible we must take every aspect with every aspect we must that is have every letter with every number let us now apply the method of space representation Note at the beginning of the next chapter the same structures as those which follow are exhibited in more detail and a reference to them will remove any obscurity which may be found in the immediately following passages they are there carried on to a greater multiplicity of dimensions and the significance of the process here briefly explained becomes more apparent take three mutually rectangular axes in space one two three figure fifty nine and on each mark three points the common meeting point being the first on each axis then by means of these three points on each axis we define twenty seven positions twenty seven points in a cubical cluster shown in figure sixty the same method of coordination being used as has been described before each of these positions can be named by means of the axes and the points combined. Thus, for instance, the one marked by an asterisk can be called 1C, 2B, 3C, because it is opposite to C on 1, to B on 2, to C on 3. Let us now treat of the states of consciousness corresponding to these positions. Each point represents a composite of posits. And the manifold of consciousness corresponding to them is of a certain complexity suppose now the constituents the points on the axes to interchange arbitrarily any one to become any other and also the axes one two and three to interchange amongst themselves any one to become any other and to be subject to no system or law that is to say that order does not exist and that the points which run ABC on each axis may run BAC, and so on. Then, any one of the states of consciousness represented by the points in the cluster can become any other. We have a representation of a random consciousness of a certain degree of complexity. End of section 15